Hello and welcome to the Memory Chapel podcast. Memory Chapel is a small, rural, non-denominational Christian church located on Banceville Road in 84, Pennsylvania. On this podcast, we feature an edited version of our Sunday morning worship service at the chapel and the Bible teaching of Pastor David All. Thanks for joining us. And now, let's get to the worship. Good morning. morning. Welcome in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So glad you're here to worship with us today. Our call to worship this morning comes from the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verses 12 through 16. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin." Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is the word of the Lord. I invite you to open your hymnals this morning to number eight, Come Thou Almighty King, if you're able and willing, stand together as we sing number eight. Bless and give thy word success. 
success. Spirit of holiness, on us descend. Come, holy Comforter, thy sacred witness bear in this glad hour. Thou who almighty art, now rule in every heart, and ne'er from us depart, Spirit of power, to Thee, great one in three, eternal praises be, and severmore, Thy sovereign majesty, may Now flip on over to number 17, our great Savior. Jesus, what a friend for sinners. Jesus, lover of my soul. Friends may fail me, foes assail me. Savior makes me whole. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a friend. Saving, helping, keeping, loving. He is with me to the end. Jesus, what a strength in let me hide myself in Him. Tempted, tried, and sometimes failing, He my strength, my victory wins. Hallelujah, what a Savior! Hallelujah, what a friend! Saving, helping, keeping, loving, Jesus, what a help in sorrow, while the billows o'er me roll. Even when my heart is breaking, He, my comfort, helps my soul. Hallelujah, what a Savior, hallelujah, what a friend. going to go to the last verse and I want you to try something with me when we get to that chorus hallelujah what a savior notice the punctuation hallelujah exclamation point what a savior exclamation point hallelujah exclamation point what a friend exclamation point we're going to really try to punch those okay we're going to punch those out so let's go to the last verse Jesus I do now receive him more than all I find he hath granted me forgiveness. I am his and he is mine. 
what a Savior, hallelujah, what a friend, saving, helping, keeping, loving, He is with me to the end. Amen. And you may be seated. Thanks for hearts with me as we seek the Lord in prayer. God, our Father, we thank you that we do have a great high priest in your Son, Jesus Christ, your messenger, your apostle, the one that represents you to us. We thank you that in him we have a high priest who represents us to you, who is tempted in all ways such as we are, yet without sin. He's compassionate, sympathetic. He's able to intercede for us so that we can boldly come before your throne. We can boldly come before your throne on the merits of Christ's righteousness and we can find grace there, grace and mercy to help us in time of need. How grateful, how thankful, how blessed we are, Father, to have this great privilege, this great standing as sons and daughters of the living God. We give you thanks for Jesus. What a savior, what a friend. Saving, helping, keeping, loving, he is with us to the end. We praise you for that. Uh, Father, we, we pray this morning for all of the people who are here today and every need and concern that is represented here. You know the needs. You know the, the worries. You know the struggles. You know the difficulties. And we come before your throne here today bearing all these things and we want to cast our cares upon you because as the scripture says, you care for us. So Father, you know the needs, you know our hearts. Please work according to your will in all of these things and, and we will trust what the scripture says that you are at work, working out for your own glory and for our good. You're taking even the bad things, the difficult things, even the evil things, and you're turning them around for your people, for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. You're turning it around. You're changing it and working it out for your own will and for our good. We trust that. We trust that you are good and that you know what is right and you know how to work good things in the lives of your people. Sometimes it's hard to hold on to that, Father. Help us today to hold on to your goodness and to hold on to the promises that you have made to your people, that you are seeking their good, not their bad. Father, we lift up our nation to you today. If there's ever a time, if there's ever a nation, if there's ever a people who needed repentance and needed to turn to the Lord, oh, it's us. Father, we pray that you would grant repentance, that you would make a pathway for your gospel to go forth in the midst of this culture that seems to be abandoning everything that's good and right. Make a path for the good news of Jesus so that it might reach many people and it might change hearts, that it might change lives, that it might bring people into a right relationship with you. <coughs> Father, we pray for our leaders that you would give them wisdom, that they would govern and lead in ways that are right and just. Father, we pray for their salvation, just as we pray for the salvation of all people. It's not your will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 
that all should come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved through Jesus Christ. We pray for all people. We pray for our church, Father. Please find us to be faithful. Find us to be faithfully doing what you've called us to do. Help each one of us to be a light, a testimony in this church, in our families, in our homes, in our communities, among our neighbors and friends and loved ones and and even those who, who are not friendly towards us. Help us to be faithful witnesses to your love and your forgiveness. Dear Father, we pray for those who cannot be with us here today. Whether it's because of travel or because of illness or ailment, we pray that you would strengthen, that you would protect, that you would restore to health. You know the needs, Father. Please meet them according to your will. Father, all of these things we ask in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Take your hymnals one more time today. Number 737. You may remain seated as we sing. 737. Like a river glorious. Peace and rest. 
your seats. And we're going to open up our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Your bulletin lists today's sermon as under the title, A Rest Remains. But, you know, at the last moment, after this had already gone to the publisher, I changed it. It's called, Don't Give Up. Don't Give Up. And I think you'll see why that title is going to be appropriate for what that's worth. But don't give up. We're in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. We're going to do the whole chapter today. Let's look at it together. The first thing I want you to notice is there is a rest that remains. As we look at verses 1 through 11, we're going to see that this is the main idea that the apostle of the Lord is trying to communicate here. There is still a rest for God's people. Let's read together. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering God's rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. Let's pause here. Who's he talking about the them? The gospel was preached to them. Well, if we go back to the previous chapter, <clears throat> pardon me, we're going to see that he spent some time talking about those Israelites who came out of slavery in the land of Egypt. And they came to the border of the promised land, like I talked about with the girls. And when it was time to take possession of the promised land, they fumbled the ball at the gold line. They did it through unbelief, through not trusting the Lord, not trusting God's word, not believing on him. And they began to complain against God and they began to question his goodness. They began to question his power. They began to question his faithfulness. I, I want to submit to you that these are very normal reactions for any of us, right? Whenever life hits us with a, right hook, whenever we get hit by something that we didn't expect, it's very natural, it's very natural for our flesh to begin to question these things. We question God's wisdom, we question God's goodness, we question his faithfulness, or maybe God is all of those things, maybe he is faithful, maybe he's good, maybe he's not present, maybe he just doesn't see what's happening in my life. Or maybe we question his power. Maybe God is all of these things, but his hands are tied. He can't do anything to help me. We question all of these things that we ought not be questioning. And every single one of us has done it, myself included. That's what those people of Israel did there in the wilderness. Instead of trusting God's word and trusting his promises, they questioned God's goodness. They questioned his provision and his power, his faithfulness. And because they did not have faith, they couldn't enter in. So that's the them that is being spoken of here in verse 2. Those people who had been saved from slavery in Egypt. Those people who had seen the mighty works of God. Those people had, in a sense, heard the gospel. You see, now how can they have heard the gospel if Jesus hadn't even been born yet and hadn't died on the cross and been buried and risen the third day and ascended into heaven after 40 more days? How could they have heard the gospel? Well, in the same sense that they saw the might and power of God's 
provision on their behalf. Isn't that what the gospel is? It's God's provision for us. You can't save yourself. You can't come to God by yourself. You need someone to do that for you. You need a way to be saved. You need a savior. You need a provider. That's what the gospel's all about. You can't save yourself, but there is one who has fulfilled God's righteousness perfectly. He hung upon a cross paying the price for your sins. He was buried. He rose again in power on the third day, and he ever lives to make intercession for you. God has provided a way of salvation for you. That's the good news. That's gospel. In a certain sense, those Israelites long ago, they had heard the gospel too. How so? Well, they needed a savior. God stepped in and said, I'll save you. They needed a provider when they went through the wilderness. God stepped in and said, I'll provide for you. They needed a deliverer. God says, I'll deliver you. They had the gospel preached to them in the sense that God had provided everything that they needed. And then they rejected it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them. Why? Why did the good news of God's deliverance and salvation, why did that not benefit them? It's very clear here. It was not mixed with faith in those who heard it. It was not mixed with faith. Do you realize that two individuals can hear the same message? They can hear the same good news about God's saving grace. Two individuals can hear the same thing. And this one believes it and is saved. Sins are forgiven, brought into a right relationship with God. And this one rejects it. Same message. Same God, same provision, same faithfulness. But in the people, we see two different responses. The choice is yours. Are you going to be the person who receives and believes God's promises and his provision? Or are you going to be the person who rejects it? It was rejected by the Israelites of old because it wasn't mixed with faith. They didn't trust the Lord and his promises. So it didn't matter that they heard the same saving good news that men like Joshua and Caleb heard. These ones didn't have faith when they heard it. And so it didn't do them any good. Verse 3, for we who have believed do enter that rest. Let's talk about that word rest. This is a neat word. And I'm no Hebrew scholar by any means, but I know how to use the tools that can teach me some things about the language. That word rest, it's what we call a Hebraism. To put it this way, it's a figure of speech. You know, we have figures of speech. We say, to hit the nail on the head. We know what that means, right? A foreign speaker might say, hit the nail? Why are we talking about carpentry? You know, but we know what hit the nail on the head means. And this word rest meant something to the Hebrew speakers, the Jewish speakers that this was addressed to. The word rest, it has the idea of to repose, to lie down. But the idea that comes with that is this is where you live. We have an expression, the place where you hang your hat. If I say where you hang your hat, you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about your home, right? Home is where you hang your hat. 
You can't hang your hat just anywhere. Well, I mean, I guess you could, but when we say the place to hang your hat, we're talking about your home, where you live. And that's what the Hebrew here is communicating. The place where you rest, where you kick your shoes off, where you get comfortable, where you walk around in your underwear if you want to. It's home. Rest. All of that is wrapped up in that word, rest. For we who have believed do enter that rest. We enter that place to live, that home. Remember what Jesus said to his apostles the night of the Last Supper when he would later be arrested? He said, I go to prepare a place for you. This is what the bridegroom would do in preparation for his marriage. He would prepare a home. That home would be built onto his father's home. It would be a place to live, a dwelling. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. And you will rest because you'll be home. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about coming home to God. Our souls will never find rest until they find it in the one who offers true rest until our souls find rest in God. For we who have believed do enter that rest as God has said. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Talking about that generation of of Hebrews in the wilderness who did not believe God at his word. It says, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. This is a reference back to the creation. Remember, in six days, God created heaven and earth and all that was in it. And on the seventh day, he Yes, thank you. He rested. He rested on the seventh day. So the apostle here is making reference to, he says, we're talking about rest and needing to enter into rest, even though all of God's works he completed in six days and he rested on the seventh He's saying the Bible's still talking about rest. Even though God finished his work long ago in creation, the Bible's still talking about rest. Whenever the Jews were perched there on the border of the promised land, God says, you're not going to enter into my rest. They said, well, rest? I thought that was back whenever you created the world. No, there's still a rest that you need to enter into, and you're not going to enter it. You're going to stay here in the wilderness for 40 years. Your children will go in. Verse 4, for he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Since, therefore, it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience, again, he designates a certain day, saying, in David, Today, after such a long time, as it has been said, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And don't get confused. I know this is kind of wordy. Let me try to unpack it for you. What the author is saying is, we're talking about rest here. Yes, six days God created the earth and everything in it. He rested on the seventh. But then, years later, when we come to the border of the promised land, he says, you folks aren't entering my rest. So the Lord continues to talk about rest and the need to enter into it. And then many, 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 many more years go by, um, somewhere around nearly a thousand years go by. And in Psalm 95, a Psalm of David, 
it speaks about today. If you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion back in the wilderness. Enter his rest. So the author's making the case that, yes, God rested at creation, but then he tells the Hebrews in the wilderness, you need to enter my rest. You're not going to. And then many, many years later, through the prophet David, he says, you folks need to enter my rest. He keeps talking about rest. It's not something in the past. It's something that is a continued promise, a promise of rest. Verse 8, this is the clincher. For if Joshua had given them rest, then God would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered God's rest has himself also ceased from his works, as God did from his. Let us, therefore, be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. The apostle here is addressing those who would make the case, saying, well, yes, the people in the wilderness didn't believe, and so they didn't enter into his rest. But 40 years later, under Joshua, the people did enter the land and they did possess it and they did receive all of God's promises. They entered into God's rest. And if you look at Joshua chapter 21, verses 44 through 45, like I read with the girls, it clearly says right here that God gave them rest and not a single word of his promises was not kept. He delivered their enemies into their hand and they had rest. They had a place to live. They were able to take their shoes off and put their feet up. So what do you say to that, Apostle Paul? That's the argument that's being made. And Paul says, well, I would simply say this, that centuries after that happened, in Psalm 95, we see David saying, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, you need to enter God's rest. Don't be hard-hearted. The Apostle Paul is saying, there's still a rest to be entered into. So what was all of that back there in the wilderness? And then going into the land of Canaan. We'll talk about that in a moment. Before we get too far ahead of ourselves, though, I do want to talk about entering God's rest. The Apostle makes the case here that entering God's rest is of the highest importance. This is like the most important thing you're ever going to look at. The need to enter into God's rest. How is it done? How do we enter into God's rest? He makes it very clear in this passage. It's entered into by faith. Remember those Hebrews of long ago who couldn't enter in? The thing that kept them out was unbelief. Unbelief is rebellion. Unbelief is unfaithfulness. Unbelief is not taking God at his word, not trusting him. We enter into God's rest through faith. Faith in what? Well, faith in his promises. God has made an unqualified promise to you through the gospel. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and what? You will be saved. There's no strings attached to it. That's God's word. Have faith in his promises. Have faith in his person. Those who come to God, the scripture says, must believe that God is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. 
Trust in his goodness. He's not hiding from you. Seek the Lord while he may be found, the scripture says. And he may be found. He's not far from any one of us. Trust in his goodness. He's not playing games with you. He's not trying to hide from you. Trust in the person of God. Trust his goodness. Trust in his power. Those those Hebrews long ago camped at the border of the promised land. They doubted God's power. Yes, he delivered us from slavery, from the superpower of that day, Egypt, the empire of Egypt. He delivered us from that, but can he really bring us into the promised land? Yes, he sustained us through the wilderness with manna, bread from heaven. Yes, he brought water from the rock. Yes, he brought quail that were flying low enough that we could just reach out and grab them so we'd have meat to eat. But can he really do what he said he would do? Can he really bring us into the promised land? Can he really give us rest in this powerful land filled with enemies? They doubted God's power. Don't we sometimes do that too? We look at the problems swirling around us in our lives. We doubt God's goodness. We doubt his faithfulness to keep his promises. We doubt his power. If he can raise a man from the dead, he's powerful enough to keep his promises and keep his word to us. We doubt his provision. We doubt his provision. We're not satisfied with what God has provided. We doubt the provision of his son being the sacrifice for our sins. The Lord, our righteousness, he is our righteousness by which we can stand before the righteous and holy God. And we doubt that and we think, well, I got to work this out myself. I got to put enough on this side of the scales that hopefully tip the scales enough that God will let me into heaven. It doesn't work that way. You could never put enough in this side of the scale to make yourself stand justified before a holy, righteous God. You can't do it. If you keep trying to put stuff in here, hoping to tilt those scales, it's not going to work. You're doubting God's provision. He has provided everything that is needed to tip that scale the right direction. And he provided it in the person of his son, Jesus. That's who you need to be trusting in. We enter that rest by faith. It's refused because of unbelief, disobedience, rebellion. We should diligently strive to enter this rest, this home where we can put our feet up. We should diligently strive to enter this rest. Hebrews chapter 6, let me take you there. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love which you have shown toward his name in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. God's not going to forget the faithful service that you've given to him. He's not going to forget that. He's not unjust. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. Show the full diligence. Keep working. Keep working. Not trying to tip the scale, but keep working in faithful service to the one who's been faithful to you. Verse 12, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Imitate those. What's it referring to? It's referring to examples. Examples. There have been examples that have been set for you. 
In your own lives, there have been examples of people who have faithfully served the Lord and have done it right up until the very end. And they didn't fumble the ball at the goal line. Follow that example. But even if there isn't someone like that in your life that you can follow that example, there are plenty of examples, and this is where we're going next, there are plenty of examples in this book right here. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 6 and 11. I'm not going to turn to it, but I'm going to give you the sense of it. The Apostle Paul in chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians had been talking about the journey of the Israelites through the wilderness and how God provided for them every step of the way. And then all of the bad things that happened and all of the good things that happened. He starts recounting all of those things in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And then he says, don't think that these things don't have any kind of impact on you in your life today. All of these things that happened to them before, they were written down here for examples to you. Examples of what faith and obedience look like. Remember that song, Trust and Obey? For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. He says all of these things that happened to them in the wilderness, those things were written down for examples for us so that we can see the faithfulness of God and what it means to faithfully trust the Lord and obey his word. These things are examples, and the Bible is filled with examples of men and women who showed great faith, great trust, obedience, sometimes disobedience, sometimes failings and, and falterings. Think of Peter, who in a moment of weakness denied his own Lord three times, and yet the Lord faithfully restored him, didn't he? Okay, we can see that same kind of record playing out in our lives too. I call you all to faith and obedience, knowing full well that you're not all going to obey perfectly well all the time. And then, I apply to you the remedy of God's faithfulness and Christ's obedience so that you may know that in times of failure, there is still a Savior who has been tempted in all points, such as we, yet without sin, and he is our great high priest, the Son of God who has passed through the heavens, who ever lives and intercedes for us so that we can get grace and mercy whenever we need it most. Isn't that good news? It's only good news if it's mixed with faith. You have to trust it. You have to believe it. So we're into verses 12 and 13. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Pause for a second. Now continue. And there is no creature hidden from his sight. But all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. In verse 12, we're talking about the word of God. You know what that is, right? I'm holding it, right? The word of God. And then seamlessly, without any shifting of gears, we slip right into talking about he is a discerner. He is the one before whom all things are are open. Everything is revealed. No one can hide from him to whom we must give account. It's talking about the word of God, and then it's talking about him, God, as if there's no distinction. It's inseparable, really. The written word of God, the living word of God, the God who gave us the written word, 
Remember John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. Once again, notice that seamless transition. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Jesus Christ is the Word of God made flesh. In this book, we have the written record. We've got the written Word of God but it reflects the one who is the living incarnate word of God. That's why we have this seamless transition here between verses 12 and 13. So how does this tie in? This seemingly comes out of nowhere. This is maybe a verse that you memorized at some point in your life. It's a great verse to have here in your heart. But how does that tie in with the flow of what the apostle's been talking about in this way? He's been talking about examples. We have the example in those ancient Hebrews of disobedience. And then 40 years later, we have the example of their children who obeyed and through faith entered into that land, that land of promise, that rest that God had promised. Okay, we've got examples. Those examples, where do we find them? We find them here. We find them in the word of God. But this is not in any ordinary book. This is a remarkable book, unlike any other book. This is the book that when we read it, it reads us. Read and read. When you read God's word, you are read by God's word. God's word opens yourself up so you can see yourself for how you are. You can see that God requires faith and you can see just how unfaithful that you yourself often are. It requires obedience and you can see just how disobedient you are. And we've got all these examples recorded for us in God's word of faith and obedience and unbelief and disobedience. And we read God's word and it opens us up because it's reading us while we're reading it. That's why the the Christian group known as the Gideons place such an importance upon putting Bibles in dresser drawers in hotel rooms. You familiar with the work of the Gideons? Why do they do this? Because they believe Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. They believe that when a person reads this book, something amazing can happen, and often does. They might not understand everything that they're reading, but the Spirit of God works with this book to read them and to show them their great need for a savior, their great need for a deliverer. That's why the Gideons place the Bibles in the hotel rooms because they know someone's going to pick it up and read it. And when they do, God's going to speak. This written word is a reflection of the one who is the living word of God, Jesus Christ. And look what it says about him. There's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. You can't hide from God. It's a fool's errand to try. You can't hide from the living God. Everything's open to him. We can oftentimes hide things from ourselves even. You know, they say the easiest person to deceive is yourself, right? It's so easy for us to delude ourselves and deceive ourselves. But you can't play that game with God. It doesn't work. All things are open to him. He sees it all. Man looks on the outward appearance, right? But the Lord, he looks at the heart. 
All things are open to him. And here's the scary part about it. This is, I think it ought to be terrifying. He's the one to whom we must give accounts. Scriptures say that every man will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. It also says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If you don't do that in this life willingly, you will at some point in the life to come do it and it probably will be unwillingly at that point and yet you will have to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We must, each one of us, give an account to him and the one that we give an account to is not one that we can pull the wool over his eyes. We can't hide anything from him. We can say, look at all these good works that I did. And he's going to look past the good works and say, yeah, but I see the reasons why you were doing them. You had selfish motives. You had, you had bad motives for doing what you were doing. He sees through it. And he's the one we have to give an account to. Maybe you remember your school days whenever you had to give an account to the teacher for something. And especially if it was a substitute teacher, it was real easy to pull the wool over their eyes, wasn't it? But it's not like that with God. He's no substitute teacher. And he sees through it all. He sees us as we really are. We have to give an account to him. In my clearer moments, I, I, I have caught glimpses of myself for who I really am. And... I don't like it. It's not a pretty thing. He sees it all the time. That's why I need a savior. I need a deliverer. I need someone who can rescue me from myself, let alone all of my sins, all of my willful rebellion. I need a savior. The word of God, it reveals to us how we truly are. Moving on quickly, verses 14 through 16 as we close out. Seeing then, I guess we could say therefore, because of all of this, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Because we have this great high priest, let us hold fast our confession. Remember what a priest's job is. A priest's job is to represent us to God. His purpose is to bring us to him. And in the Old Testament, according to the law of Moses, the priests would have to offer certain sacrifices and do everything in certain ways so that then the people could approach God. But even then they couldn't draw near to God. The closest that they could get was to the doorway of the tabernacle. Only the priest could go into the holy place which was the first room in. And then there was a back room called the Holy of Holies. And only the high priest could go into that room on one occasion, one day out of the year. And only if he brought the proper sacrifice could he enter that room. The closest that the people could ever get through their priest was just to the door of the tabernacle. Like those Hebrews of old who got to the border of the promised land but couldn't go in. But we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens. We have a great high priest, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who has 
who, when he died upon the cross, remember the veil of the temple was torn, it was rent. That was that veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place, the holy of holies. Jesus Christ ripped the veil. He opened it up so that we could draw near to God through him. We can draw boldly near to God. That's what it says right here. We can come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We have a high priest who made that way for us. He opened the door. You don't need to come just to the border and stop. You can come on in. Whenever we go to bed at night, getting ready to close the house down for the evening, some of our children are older, and if we know that they're going to be coming back to the house, we won't deadbolt the door. We know that they might be coming in a little bit later, and that's fine, but we don't deadbolt that door. Come on in. And, you know, that's what Jesus has done for us. He has made a way for us to enter into God's rest, into his home. The door's not locked. Come on in. You don't have to knock. Our kids know they don't have to knock at the door. You don't have to knock. Jesus did the knocking. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. Come on in. Jesus made the way. He's our high priest. What kind of high priest is he? Oh, this is wonderful. Verse 15. We don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weaknesses. No. We have a high priest who went through all the same temptations that we go through. The difference is, he didn't give in, yet without sin. We have a high priest who can sympathize with us. We have a high priest who's faithful, he's merciful, he can be merciful because he can be compassionate. He can be compassionate because he's sympathetic. He's sympathetic because he went through everything that we've gone through and more. He knows us because he's one of us. He's one of us, and yet he's God. How amazing is this? This is the kind of high priest we have. What benefit does that bring? Well, if it's mixed with faith, unlike those Hebrews of old who heard the gospel but didn't believe it, if you hear the word of God and his promises and it's mixed with faith in your life, if you trust him, if you believe him at his word and you believe his person and his promises and his power, his goodness, all of those things, well, look what benefit you have. Come boldly to the throne of grace. It's not, hey, God, if you're not too busy, you know, could I have a moment of your, no, it's not like that. Come boldly, walk into the presence of God. Say, Father, I'm here, I need help. When I lost my father at age 25, one of the most difficult things for me to wrap my head around in the weeks and months and sometimes even years that followed was I couldn't just pick up the phone and call him. Sometimes a young man needs to run something by his dad. Say, hey dad, what would you do about this? What can I do here? How would you, how would you run this wiring for this circuit? You know, Whatever it might be, you could always Talk to dad, or hopefully there's been someone in your life that you could just go to. And if you've ever lost a person like that, it's like, I can't just pick up the phone and call anymore. I can't go get that help anymore. But here's the good news. We have a high priest in Jesus. You can always go and get that help. 
That line is always working. It's always open. You can go boldly. Say, Father, Dad, I'm here. I need some help. And you can be assured that you will find not only grace, but you will find mercy from our compassionate high priest. And you will find the help that you need in that moment. That's what it says. Do you believe it? I have to. I believe it. I'm going to trust it. We can go boldly to get the help that we need. We can find grace to help in time of need. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the great promises that you've made to us, the great provision that you've made through your son, Jesus. We thank you for the promise of entering into rest. Uh, Father, I pray that there would be none here who would fall short of entering into that rest, but that we would all diligently strive to enter into your rest. And we enter in if we have placed our faith and trust in your son, Jesus. Help us to be faithful to the very end. We thank you for the great high priest that we have, the living word of God, to whom we must give account, and yet who nonetheless remains a merciful, compassionate high priest who's able to sympathize with us because... He's been tempted in all ways such as we, yet without sin. Thank you, Father, for your great and gracious provision. In the name of Jesus Christ, our great high priest and Lord, we pray. Amen. Thank you for having tuned in with us today. We hope you found the time in worship and the word to be encouraging, challenging, and strengthening. If so, we'd love to hear from you. We realize there are so many ways you could spend your time. We're glad you chose to spend it with us in worship and the word. Until next time, may the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ be with you all today, this week, and forever.